Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to episode 196 of Real Life Ghost Stories. And to kick things off this week, I need to thank some of our newest Patreon subscribers. I need to thank Simon White, Cara Marsak, Danielle Kochia, Joy Rudder, Danielle, First Dorothy, Kate, Louise Waggett, Loki's Humans, Erica Anderson, Melissa Holcomb, Melissa Aneering, Leah, Krisha Jungfleisch, Katie, Cindy Windsor, Talia Melissa, Alison Moss, Victoria Longfellow and Christina Jones. Thank you so much for subscribing to the Patreon. I love you and appreciate you every single day. And our film review this week, our film review is The Deep House. The Deep House was released in 2021. It has 5.3 out of 10 on IMDb and 74% on Rotten Tomatoes. Deep below the surface of a seemingly tranquil remote lake lies a perfectly preserved family home. When a young influencer couple sets out to explore the submerged house to capture uncharted content for their social media followers, their dive turns into a nightmare as they discover a sinister presence. With limited oxygen supply and time running against them, the couple must find a way to escape the underwater house of horrors before it's too late. Now I'm going to level with you here. There's going to be spoilers and the likes column is remarkably small. I mean, there's one thing that I liked in the like column for this story. And that is that it was a good concept for a film, I suppose. That's literally what I've written. It's a good concept for a film and then in brackets, I suppose. I guess I like when films these days embrace kind of YouTube and social media culture. I enjoy it and the lengths that people will go to in order to kind of try and create good content and to try and chase that virality. I think when it's done well, it can be really, really good. Like that film, um, was it Hell House LLC or was it Grave Encounters? One of them where they were doing kind of like a ghost adventure style mockumentary type film that ended up being genuinely really good. There was also that film that I watched recently where the YouTubers go to a little remote village and they are there for some sort of ritual and they break the rules. Like, it can be done really well. But was it done well in this instance? I'm I'm going to put it out there and say that it was not. One of the only things that I believed in this story was the obnoxiousness of the main character, Ben. Because unfortunately, when people are so caught up in trying to go viral and being online and what makes a good video and how can I entice viewers to watch my video and whatever. Sometimes people do lose all sense of common decency and being a good partner. 
And Ben seemed to do that from the beginning because he was an absolute knob. So that bit was believable. I thought that visually, at points it was quite cool, like this this big beautiful house completely submerged at the bottom of a lake and we've talked about lakes where things like that have happened, like Lake Lanier I think um, has perfectly preserved buildings and stuff at the bottom of it and there is a, a perfectly preserved village, well not perfectly preserved but there is a preserved like church tower and stuff off the east coast of England that I visited recently, like you know these things do happen and I thought there was elements of it that were quite beautifully shot. Which brings me quickly, headlong, diving into the dislikes. Right, okay, so I understand that in horror films we are meant to suspend our disbelief and I try and do that as often as possible, as much as possible. I mean, you, you kind of let things go, you know. You let characters make stupid decisions that you wouldn't ordinarily make in real life, etc, etc. So that side of things... I can I can let go. But the house is perfectly preserved under the water, right? And yeah, it's weird. The characters reference it at some point. They're like, how is all this stuff still so perfect? Why is it not eroded away? Grant, fine, you've referenced it. It adds to the spooky. But the lack of continuity in the underwater house really irked me. So, for example, they would go swimming into a room in the house and... All of the or- ornaments and doodads and trinkets on all of the counters were just there as though as though the house was not suspended underwater. But yet some things were floating around and other things that you're looking at going, I mean, that's that's a pain. You know, that's not going to have stayed there when the house flooded, you know. Oh, it drove me mad the whole way through. And it did take me two goals to watch this because it was so physically dark to watch. I tried to watch it in the daytime at one point and I just couldn't see anything on the screen. I couldn't. I was like, sorry, it was this directed by Christopher Columbus because everything is so dark. I cannot see a thing. All I can hear is the lead female character shouting Ben over and over and over again because, my God, was this script awful. But we'll come to the bad script in a second. It, it just was too dark to watch. And that's one of those things about films that really annoys me. I know, I know you're underwater. It's not exactly going to be bright down there. But there are obviously cinema trickery little things that you can do in order to make it so it's actually watchable. There was something so weird about this film as well. So something really incongruous that just didn't work. And I think it was partly to do with the amount of point of view shots that they used and the fact that the dialogue was so poor and so static the entire way through that I felt like I was watching somebody play a video game the entire way through. And when I posted this on Instagram, I saw somebody else commented and said, it feels like it would be better as a video game. And I was thinking the same thought at the time and I was like exactly I felt like I was watching some I felt like I was watching a twitch streamer and as well as that there were many points in the film where something scary was allegedly happening but all we saw was the point of view camera that was sort of rolling around you know all flashes of things and you couldn't see anything because there was loads of bubbles etc etc and actually it didn't work because I ended up being like well I can't I can't actually see what we're what I'm meant to be afraid of to be honest And there were points of the film that just felt lazy too, where I was like, okay, but did you not get somebody, like somebody who's a seasoned diver to come in and consult on this film? Because there was bits where I was like, I don't know if you can do that under the water. There's bits where he was playing like rock music through their gear 
And I was like, I'm pretty sure that that's not something that happens. And there also was a point in the film where they find all this satanic stuff or, you know, allegedly satanic stuff in the house. And they find out that the family who used to live there had been doing awful things, whatever. And there's this um, big icon that is sort of carved into the ground. And he goes, whoa, look at that. It's a pentagram. It's not a pentagram. Even I know that. So tell me how that made it through script writing and then production and then post-production. I don't understand it. And finally, the last thing I'm going to say about this film because I feel like I'm just ranting about how much I disliked it, which I am because I disliked it enormously. The character of Ben is played by Mick Jagger's son, whose name I cannot remember. Is it James Jagger? Anyway, Mick Jagger's son. And people complain all the time about nepotism and nepo babies. And look, it happens. It never bothers me. I'm just like, it is what it is. When people have loads of money, their children are going to be afforded better opportunities. It, it that's, that's just what happens. You know, doors are open for you. You know people that are in the know. It is what it is. This is a point where the nepotism and nepo babiness annoyed me because, dear God, is he not a good actor. And it began to irk me to such a degree that every time he spoke, I was like, shut up, Ben. Nobody cares what you have to say, Ben. Okay? And the dialogue was just incredibly badly written. Honestly, this film should have been submerged deep into a lake so that we never had to see it again and I don't know if you can tell but I really disliked it. It was not good. It's going to be a whopping one star for The Deep House from me. I actually don't recommend that you watch it but what I will recommend is that you, if you want to have a good drinking game with your friends, if you're so inclined that way, take a shot every time she says Ben because you will be absolutely upside down by about the halfway point of this film because she says Ben all of the time. Head over to Hulu this March where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Which brings us to our story this week. Now, the story this week, it needs no introduction because it's in the title. So you can see exactly what the story is going to be. The stories from today's episode are from a book called The Black Eyed Kids by a man called David Weatherly. And I'm trying to get him to come on the podcast. Hopefully, fingers crossed that he might be able to come on. He's done loads of research into the Black Eyed Kids and what they could be and theories and different people's experiences. And that's where the stories come from today. So the story about Paul is adapted from his book. And the story that is all told from a first person perspective is taken from direct quotes in his book. So I'm going to tell you guys that this might be a long one. So grab yourself a drink of something warm. Make sure that you listen in the dark. 
turn the lights off, open the curtains and just hope that nobody comes and knocks on your door. Many moons ago we explored the story of the rake on Patreon. I had been convinced that the story of the rake was true in the way that all urban legends seem to have a kernel of truth at their core but actually what I discovered was that the rake was a story that was born in the depths of creepypasta. It was a completely fictional tale that is designed to sound real. It told the story of sailors who encountered a white tall creature with thin and long arms and legs, truly the stuff of nightmares. But as it happened, the fictional story of the rake seemed to resonate with people. This creature that seemed to have been completely fictitious was actually something that people were seeing in real life. It became clear that while the story wasn't rooted in reality, the creature it created certainly was and it resonated with people all over the world. And there is one topic that seems to be having the same treatment, the black-eyed kids. Now I'll be real, it's a topic that I had firmly put into the creepy pasta category, a story that takes all of the old ideas about vampires and modernises them for today's audience. But something about black-eyed kids seemed to strike a chord with people. The original black-eyed kids story came from a man called Brian Bethel, who had a run-in with two black-eyed kids while parked in his car outside a movie theatre. If you want to hear the full story, you can listen to it on episode 28 of the podcast. Interestingly, since Brian Bethel's encounter has gone global, he has stated that he regrets coining the phrase black-eyed kids because he believes it severely limits the parameters of the phenomenon in question. But people request more black-eyed kids stories all the time. And since Brian Bethel's story has gained popularity on the internet, there has been an influx of people sharing their alleged experiences with the black-eyed kids. And today is finally the time to revisit them and try and establish whether this apparent urban legend really does have a kernel of truth at its core. Paul was a tough man. He had been in the military when he was younger and he worked for years as a prison guard. He lifted weights and played sports and kept himself fit. At six foot three, he had seen some pretty horrible situations. He had seen prison fights, brawls, combat and stabbing. But nothing could prepare him for his run-in with the black-eyed kids. He was a definite non-believer and had no interest in anything to do with ghosts or cryptids or UFOs. At the time of the incident, Paul was working as a guard in a prison in the Midwest. He had just finished his shift and was excited to get home because he knew he had the house to himself for the weekend. His wife and son had gone away and he was determined to spend the weekend doing as little as humanly possible. He arrived home, showered and changed and went into his kitchen to get something to eat. His plan was to eat, drink beer and watch sports before having an early night. While he stood in the kitchen cutting his sandwich, he thought he heard a knock on the door, but it was so soft that he couldn't be sure. He stopped what he was doing and listened closer. No. There it was, a definite continuous knocking at the door. 
It was soft but persistent and definitely getting louder. Why not just ring the damn doorbell, he thought to himself. He put the knife down and rubbed his hands on his tracksuit bottoms and headed to the door. He checked who was on the doorstep by peering through the glass panel at the side of the door and was met with the sight of two young teenage boys, maybe around 12 to 14 years old. He opened the door. Can I help you? He said. Something was wrong. He immediately and instinctively knew it. He surveyed the two boys quickly and took in as much detail as he could. They were definitely young teenagers and were both wearing nondescript jeans and tops. One boy's top was grey and one of them was a dark brown colour. They both stood motionless on the doorstep with their heads bent looking down. They were both silent. Paul waited for a speech like, Hey, we're from the local high school and we're selling stuff to raise money for our sports team. Or something to that effect. But he realised that he didn't recognise the boys at all. The boy in grey looked up and smiled. An odd, stretched, open mouth smile and said, Hi. We just wanted to stop in for a bit. Paul was the one who froze now. What in the world was happening? He looked at the boys and he definitely didn't recognise them and they weren't friends of his son. They were too old to be anyway. He told them that he was very sorry but he thought they might have gotten the wrong house. The boy in grey still standing frozen with his open mouthed smile that seemed too wide for his face. Oh, well that's okay. Can we come in for a bit? All of Paul's internal alarm system was on full alert now. The hairs on the back of his arms and neck were standing on end. He lifted his arms slowly and flicked the switch for the porch light and as the soft light washed over the two boys he realised what he was seeing. The boys had solid black eyes. There were no whites visible at all, just big pools of darkness. The boy in grey spoke again. It would be good if you just let us come in now. You don't have to think about it. Just open the door and ask us. Paul's ears started to ring. He felt sheer panic wash over him, a panic that made him feel dizzy and lightheaded. What is happening, he thought over and over again. Something is wrong. I need to get away. Don't worry. Just let us in. It won't take long. Absolutely not. Paul snapped out of his trance and stepped backwards, fumbling to close the door. When he shut it, he realised that he had been shouting at the kids to get off his porch. He didn't understand what was going on, and as he stood with his back to the door, he realised that he had been squeezing his eyes shut, trying to block out the last thing he had seen, two pairs of big black eyes boring into his. He tried to regulate his breathing, and then the knocking started. Softly, but insistent, the knocking came, getting louder and louder. He stepped away from the door, backing towards the sitting room, and then he felt a cold chill as his eyes met the black soulless eyes of the boy in the brown hoodie who was now staring at him through the window pane next to the door. The boy maintained unblinking eye contact with Paul as he raised his hand and began knocking on the glass. That was enough for Paul. 
These kids needed to get off his property and be taught a lesson. He braced himself up to his full size and ran towards the door, roaring and shouting. He threw open the door and nothing. No kids, just his usual quiet neighbourhood. That night, Paul couldn't sleep. He was so deeply unsettled and convinced that those children would return. The next morning, he asked the neighbours if they had seen anything, and no one had. He was afraid to tell anyone in case people thought he was crazy. He thought about the two boys a lot, and in particular, their cold, black, soulless eyes. He asked a doctor friend what illness or condition could cause someone to have eyes like that, and the doctor said it just wasn't something that happened. In his lifetime, he told three people what happened and eventually turned to the internet to find stories and realised that other people had had experiences with kids like these all over the world. And the stories on the internet are many. I've tried in this episode to avoid Reddit-style hearsay stories because there is no way of verifying them. Paul told his story to David Weatherly, author of the book Black-Eyed Children, But if you do a cursory Reddit search for encounters, they are everywhere. A woman in Portland reported that a boy of about 17 or 18 turned up to ask about a house viewing and his eyes were solidly black and induced such a fear in her that she shook for hours on end. A Marine reported watching a film and it being interrupted by a consistent knocking on his door. He opened it and there were two children standing there with hollow black eyes. And again, he was completely overcome with fear. When he wouldn't let them in, they knocked on his door for about 10 minutes and then the windows in his house rattled as though they were checking to see if any were open. There was a woman who was leaving a Starbucks and felt the unmistakable feeling of someone watching her. As she turned to see who it was, she made eye contact with a man who was sitting in Starbucks watching her with a smile frozen on his face. His eyes were completely black and she noticed that despite the fact that the Starbucks was busy, people seemed to be instinctively giving him a wide berth, and there was nobody sitting around him. The reports are seemingly endless, and for someone like Paul, the deluge of black-eyed kids' sightings must have offered him so much needed relief. But these black-eyed kids' stories are not limited to the Western world, and nor did they begin with Brian Bethel's tale. And it was only when I began to look into this more that I began to understand why he regretted giving them that name. It limits the parameters by which we can identify these entities. For example, David Weatherly recalls visiting southern China and being told a tale of a village that was plagued by the spirit of a young girl. The locals believed that she was responsible for any ill fortune that befell them And as they did not know who the ghost was or where she had come from or how she had died, they did not understand how they could appease her. She was often sighted at night time where she would be wearing a white dress and be in her bare feet. She had deathly pale skin and her eyes were completely black and she would knock on doors asking to be let into the house. Eventually, the people called in a monk who came and helped them remove the spirit, which he did successfully. While the villagers were successful in ridding the village of this spirit, it sounds eerily similar to what is being reported all over the internet today. 
All the way back in the 1950s in the USA, in rural Virginia, a young man named Harold had a strange encounter with what could be now classed as a black-eyed kid. Although Harold is now dead, the story has been passed down through the family ever since. Harold was returning home one summer's evening when he saw a boy of about 11 or 12 leaning against a fence post. Harold did not recognise this boy, which was unusual for the time as he knew all the children for miles around. Harold stopped and asked the boy if he was okay. And the boy said clearly, I want to go to your house. Take me to your house. Like the others that would follow, Harold felt a strange chill come over him and he was immediately gripped by fear. The boy looked directly at Harold and Harold realised that his eyes were completely black. Harold was internally panicking but felt rooted to the spot. He wanted to run, to scream, to get as far away from the boy as he could. Now don't you run away from me. You're going to walk me to your house. Harold's fight or flight kicked in and he raced up his driveway, sprinting as hard as he could, and from behind him, he heard the most unearthly, angry, terrifying scream. In 2009, John, who had been in the military for seven years, was travelling on a lonely Texas back road one summer. He was travelling across back roads late at night in order to visit family, and he loved travelling these roads at night. The sense of peace driving on these lonely stretches under a starry sky was unmatched. It was a perfect night, he said. There wasn't a cloud in the sky, so the stars were bright. I was taking my time. A lot of deer tend to cross the road late at night and I didn't want to hit one. I'd finished off half of my thermos that I had refilled at a 24-hour mart and it was time to answer the call of nature. I hit a length of road that was long and straight and I could see there weren't any cars as far as you could see in either direction. There was plenty of space to pull over, so I slowed down and parked just off the side of the highway. I went a few paces away from the road and took care of my business. After that I just stood there for a few minutes to work out the kinks and just look up at the stars. It couldn't have been more than five minutes in total. My eyes were pretty adjusted to the dark, enough that I had a good view of a rabbit that I scared when I was walking back to the truck. I reached for the door handle of the truck, and it was then that I saw it. A young boy, standing just past the driver's door. I jumped in shock because I couldn't believe that he had been there so close by and I hadn't even seen him. He didn't move a muscle. I think if my eyes hadn't been adjusted to the dark, I probably wouldn't have seen him. I realised right away that he was just a kid and that made me calm down a bit. I told him that he had scared the hell out of me. This kid, he didn't miss a beat and he says to me, I want to get into your truck. I didn't say anything at first. I didn't know what to say to tell you the truth. I felt this weird cold chill when he said that and my mind was racing trying to figure out where this boy had come from. I looked around and there were no lights visible in any direction. By this point, the boy still hadn't moved, and he said, I want to get into your truck now. I'll tell you, the hair on the back of my neck stood up. 
I was having a bad, bad feeling in the pit of my stomach. And I tried to reason with my brain, thinking things like, this is only a young boy out here. There's nothing I should be worried about. Nothing was working though. I couldn't kick the weird feeling that just kept getting stronger. I tried to smile at the boy so that I could find out what was happening. I asked him if he lived around here and he just stood completely still. Just let me get into your truck. We can go for a ride. I asked him again if he lived around and if he needed a ride home. But he just stayed standing in the same position completely still. We can get into your truck now. It won't take long. The kid was wearing a dull white shirt that looked a bit too big for him. I know what hand-me-downs are like and that's what I thought this kid was wearing. The shirt was tucked into dark trousers. The boy's hair was dark, probably dark brown. And it was shaggy but not long. I couldn't really see other details too well due to the low light. At this point I was getting more and more nervous and then he said again, Just open the door and tell me to get in. We'll have a short ride. I just felt like I wanted to run and leave that boy and my truck as far behind as I could. I realised that I was squinting my eyes and I felt like I was trying to like shake off a punch or something. It was a weird feeling. I knew right then that I had to get out of there. I shook my head and tried to clear my thoughts. I told the kid that I wasn't going to do that and I took a step towards the door. I didn't take my eyes off him because I didn't know what he would do next. I jumped into the truck and shut the door. I put my keys into the ignition and when I looked up, the kid was standing right beside my door, staring in at me through the window. I have never felt like I did the moment when that kid was glaring in the window at me. I threw the truck into gear and floored the gas. A couple of miles down the road I stopped and I looked down at my hands. I was holding the steering wheel so tight that my hands were turning white. I was breathing real fast too. I took a deep breath and worked on calming myself down. And all of a sudden I felt ridiculous. I started to question myself. What in the world was I doing running from a child? Maybe that boy needed help of some sort. Maybe he was messed up in the head or something. I had had a really primal response that I couldn't figure out what had caused it. I decided that I had to turn around and go back. I've usually got a good sense of distance and my surroundings and it only took me one pass to find the exact spot where I'd pulled off the first time. I was driving slow and I had a high-powered flashlight that I was shining out of the window. I passed the light all over looking for that boy. I drove past the spot, down about half a mile and then came back. He was nowhere to be found. I thought he had to be close by. A boy that small couldn't move very fast. After a couple of passes up and down the road, I pulled back over at the exact spot where I'd parked the first time. I got out and used the flashlight to scan the area in all directions. Standing on that deserted road, my mind flashed back to that boy and I suddenly saw the image of that kid staring in the window at me. It gave me a chill all over again. I got back in the truck and drove away, but I made sure to look at the next mile marker. I wanted to know where the spot was. I never got over that night and I could never get the image of that child out of my head. We could talk forever about the phenomenon of the black-eyed kids but the stories all generally carry the same characteristics. Two children appear at a doorstep or at a car window and they ask to be let in. 
they instill an immediate sense of dread and fear into the witness. And witnesses often report, feeling as though they are frozen and stuck on the spot. They will repeatedly ask to come in and their tone will become more threatening and urgent. They are generally pale, although some people have reported that they have olive-toned skin, but that the colour seems off, almost as though they are wearing makeup that is the wrong shade. They have eyes that are completely black and they are generally wearing clothes that are plain and nondescript. So what are these creatures? Let's dip into the theories before we dive into one more Black Eyed Kids story that actually came from a listener. I hope you're suitably spooked. I know I am. Theory number one. Black Eyed Kids are some sort of alien-human hybrid. Now this is kind of one of the theories that comes up all of the time and it seems to be the most widely held theories about black eyed kids so you know they've they've got some similarities to what we imagine as gray aliens so big black eyes attempted mind control like almost as if they're speaking telepathically to people so in harold's story which is from all the way back in the 1950s he said that he felt like he needed to run away and the the black eyed kid responded oh now don't you run away from me almost like he could read his mind There's also these kind of unnatural movements or kind of odd speech that people say is because they're not actually fully human. And in David Weatherly's book, he references women who claim they were abducted by aliens and impregnated by aliens. Um, And some people claim that the black eyed kids are a result of this experiment. And there's some people who believe that they're they're creating some sort of human-alien hybrid and at some point that human-alien hybrid will like overtake humanity. You know, it's kind of like a long haul taking over the earth kind of deal. You know, it's not Independence Day style. It's more of a slow burn. What I will say about that is it seems to me that if this is the case, if these children are the result of some sort of alien-human hybrid, um they're not really camouflaging themselves very well and it's not working out very well. The whole internet is talking about them. Uh, There's films being made about them. They're not keeping it very secret. I just feel like if aliens exist in the form that these people think, they'd be slightly more sophisticated. What is to be gained by sending two kids down to knock on people's door and be like, let us in, and then for the people to be like, no. What's to be gained there? What's happening there? I just don't really see it as a very effective tool for anything, to be honest. And this kind of links to the second theory, which is here come the men in black. All about the men in black, that the black eyed kids are somehow either the offspring of the men in black or linked to the men in black. And we've talked about the men in black on the podcast before, and they're often characterized as being like very, very pale, no hair. Sometimes they're they're, they're seen as wearing lipstick almost as if to give the appearance of having lips that they're dressed in suits that their their speech is all you know sort of the the inflection of their speech is is different and yeah just just very very strange beings and um, again people think that the men in black is some sort of like governmental agency or it might be aliens or whatever either way whatever is happening here it is not subtle If it's aliens and you're able to whiz around all these different light years across space in this technology that's unbelievably good, surely you can you can disguise one of your creatures as a human more effectively than what is happening here. And if not, 
up your costume game, up the cosplay game. And again, you know, this belief that there's some sort of governmental agency. Yeah, I, I see I see why people might think that. But also, the government have access to plenty of actual humans and plenty of actual, you know, MI5 agents and all that jazz. So why not just use them? Why would you use these sort of pseudo-humans who attract a lot of attention? It's not subtle. If anybody from the alien hybrid program or from the government is listening to this and you want me to come and, I don't know, do some consultation on this, I'm happy to do it. I know what humans look like. I know how they behave. I am also a human. Very happy to come and do some consultation on this one. I'll I'll happily do it for minimal money too. You know, I just, I just think there could be some improvements that are made here. Now, theory number three is actually a theory that I like and that is hungry ghosts. And I've talked briefly about Hungry Ghosts before. Now, obviously, I can't encapsulate the entire cultural phenomenon of Hungry Ghosts into this little segment. It it needs its whole own episode. Um, but at a kind of a very small level, Hungry Ghosts are an important part of Chinese culture. And many people believe that they can appear as children with black eyes who ask to enter your house to eat, but they will never be satisfied. They will always be hungry because they are between two worlds. So I, from what I could gather in my reading, and again, I haven't researched this extensively, so excuse my ignorance if I'm wrong, that hungry ghosts happen when somebody dies who has been, who has lived a life of like anger, of jealousy, of rage or just not very good things in their life so that when they die they become a hungry ghost and they are always eternally searching for something to satisfy them whatever that thing is and there's a whole hungry ghost festival in China and people you know do things like they burn paper money which is said to appease hungry ghosts they leave seats at these big celebrations and festivals they leave seats free for the hungry ghosts so there's a lot of stuff that goes on And in this book by David Weatherly, there are stories of people who are Chinese or of Chinese heritage who have experienced hungry ghosts. And not going to lie, sounds very similar to this black eyed kid phenomenon. And I think this is kind of my favourite theory so far. I'm not that into the alien hybrid theory or the men in black theory, but hungry ghosts, I kind of... I'm interested in it. The next theory is that the black-eyed kids are some sort of demonic entity. Now, you all know how I feel about demons. It's not that I'm ragging on people's belief in demons. I just don't think everything is a demon. And I also, look, you know, these little kids, apparently they cause fear. They look pretty sinister with their black eyes. But that's kind of it. They're not really up to much else, you know? They're not really doing, they're not really, they're not, they don't seem to really be doing Lucifer's work. And I just feel like if Lucifer, if the devil was real and he's whizzing off all these demons to earth to be wreaking havoc, are they really just going to be making people feel a sense of dread on their doorstep? Because I just think they'd be doing so much more. And I just feel like they'd have bigger people on their agenda to be messing with rather than, you know, Mary in a small town in West Virginia. You know what I'm saying? And I just think if the devil, if demons, if aliens and the men in black and whatever have been watching humanity for pretty much all of history, they'd be doing a better job at hiding themselves. 
and surreptitiously doing evil deeds. Not rocking up to your doorstep in a kind of a shitty disguise with lipstick painted on, a lipless mouth and thinking that people are going to let you in. It's not going to happen. Which brings me swiftly to theory number five, which is vampires. Love this theory. This is the one that I want to get behind because I love vampire lore. So, you know, according to vampire lore, they need to be invited in. And I, thinking about that, I wondered if, you know, at the time it was some sort of moral signpost about not inviting negativity or evil into your house you know if you don't do bad deeds you're not inviting negativity into your house and if you want to personify that you create a legend like the vampire and apparently according to the older legends vampires came with a sulfuric or really sickly sweet smell and there was stories in this book um, one in particular about a woman who was like outside a walmart something really innocuous and this child came to her window and she rolled down the window and was immediately met with this like sickly sweet nauseating smell usual black-eyed kid stuff ensued and she ended up driving away and could still smell that really sickly sweet smell Apparently, that smell is quite normal with black-eyed kids. Um, also, vampires are said to be hypnotic. You know, they're able to get you to do things. And lots of people talk about the black-eyed kids as being telepathic and hypnotic. There are reports of witnesses saying that they felt like the children were predators and they were their prey. And we've all seen What We Do in the Shadows, which is a very good, serious documentary about the lives of vampires. And we know that they're living among us. So what can I say? This is the one that I'm leaning towards, that it's vampires. And theory number six is that they are the spirits of children. And to be honest, that one, I can't even make jokes about that one because it just makes me really sad. I think that whatever your belief is in life in general, whether you're an atheist, whether you're agnostic, whether you're, whether you believe in God, whether you believe in an afterlife, whatever it is, I think the idea of the spirits of children wandering around for all eternity knocking on doors trying to put it into people's houses is just desperately sad and then there is of course the theory that this is all just one big hoax i've thought about this quite a lot and i will say that it is quite a sophisticated hoax if it is a hoax but i can't help but think about the clown phenomenon of like was it 2000 and i don't know 2014 2015 where people were dressing up as sinister clowns and running around wielding knives. And that was such a strange news story that was going around. And of course, you're going to think, who is going to do that? Who is going to go and buy a clown costume, dress up as a sinister clown to scare people? Well, people did it. And while I don't think that all of these cases are, you know, children who have somehow managed to find pure black contact lenses to cover the whites of their eyes, And are going knocking on people's doors for the crack. I do think sometimes that maybe some of these incidences are A. Made up for the internet clout. But B. Cases of mistaken identity. And there are obviously ways that people's um, pupils can become really, really enlarged. Really black and make their eyes look black. So I think some of maybe, maybe even the adult kind of black eyed person stories sometimes might be a case of mistaken identity there was a time you know about 10 years ago where tattooing the whites of your eyes was 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 quite in vogue with extreme body modification 
and then actually it's not really widely widely performed anymore because of how dangerous it is but you know for a time people did do it they made the whites of their eyes black or blue or red or whatever color they wanted so it did happen was it as widespread as it's as these stories on the internet would suggest of course not i don't think that everybody who is you know rocking up and knocking on people's doorsteps has the whites of their eyes tattooed but i do think some of these cases potentially are mistaken identity i also think that some of these cases are potentially pranks but i would be curious to know what what you think as the listener do you think it's pranks do you think it's people making up stories on the internet for clout do you think it's mistaken identity do you think it's the spirits of children vampires demons hungry ghosts the men in black or alien human hybrids i am curious to know and to finish out today's episode i have a listener story from the wonderful alex so let's get into it so my black-eyed child experience was super subdued compared to the ones you talk about and i think maybe it's because i'd heard of them before i saw one so i kind of knew how to handle it but maybe also having all of these other experiences with spirits and whatnot just gave me an idea of what to do Most people I've talked to who have experienced them have actually seen much younger children as I did. Mine was maybe nine or ten. My wife's and my theory is that they are beings that maybe lack personification and so seek it from humans, like maybe they're trying to take ours, but get more and more desperate the older they get. The older ones, from what I've heard, are much more aggressive. I was also advised to find its name, And this is actually, in part, what worked. So here it goes. I moved to Berlin in a sort of quarter-life crisis, and I saw her the most there. But I don't think she attached to me there. I think it happened in the States, and that she followed me to Germany. No idea where. It was a weird time in life for me, but I started to notice her a lot once I was in Berlin. Maybe I was more isolated, more vulnerable. Similar to the cases you discussed, I experienced overwhelming dread whenever she was present and felt insanely threatened. Keep in mind I've been unwillingly exposed to seriously horrific scenes and this was scarier. I literally cannot explain why. They are terrifying. She was a small girl, about ten, with long black hair and wearing a little wool coat. She first spoke to me. She definitely had watched me before, but I didn't really take notice until she spoke to me, in a park, way after dark in Berlin. She asked if she could come home with me. Keep in mind, I'm a sort of wigged out 20-something-year-old man at the time. I was very confused, and I started to say something like, Oh, hey, where are your parents? Do you need help? But when I turned down to answer, I saw her eyes and realised they were off. And that's when the dread just crashed into me. I've never been so terrified. And I realised something else. She was kind of fuzzy and I started to put the pieces together. I stammered out, Um, do you need help? And she just said again, Can I come home with you? At this point, I'm warring in my mind. Is this some sort of like fucked up child trafficking situation? And do I need to call the authorities or a shelter or something? Or is this a fucking black-eyed child? Remember, I'm in a pitch-black park in a party district of Berlin. Weird shit happens. So I'm like very torn about how to respond. But then she just starts saying it again and again and again and like in a, in a horrifying voice. 
I eventually just walked quickly away to my train and went home. I then started seeing her outside of my apartment block door. She didn't speak the first few times, but then she started saying, Let me in. Let me in. At this point, I started researching it. I learned the thing about finding her name, and I think, importantly, I talked to my wife about it. At the time, she was my girlfriend. I was living in Berlin and she was in Philadelphia. We already had an extremely close connection, and so I felt safe to talk to her about something that sounds so ridiculous. She encouraged me to A, come back home and settle down, and B, remember that willpower is often what matters in these kinds of paranormal situations. What I mean by that is, it's important not to let fear take over. Look at the thing, be solid in your convictions, don't show fear. So the next time I saw her, I asked, What is your name? Silence. Hi, what is your name? Silence. Um, what can I call you? Silence. And then her face got very angry and she shouted, Let me in! Enough of a try for today, so I split fast. Over the next few months, I kept seeing her, kept trying to find out her name and she got more and more insistent. Shouting instead of speaking normally, and eventually showing up in my apartment on nights that my roommate was out. I spent quite a few nights up all night with the lights on, trying to ignore that she was maybe still in my living room while I was holed up in my room, blasting music and telling myself, stay brave, don't show fear. Thankfully, I lived in the kind of apartment block where none of the neighbours minded loud music late at night. It is Berlin, after all. I started seeing her in my dreams. I was getting very, very freaked out. As someone who has experienced all kinds of shit, I was kind of at my wit's end. How could I not figure this one out? Why was she so persistent? Why was I so afraid, despite her simply repeating again and again, let me in? I got the impression this let me in was not about a physical place. After all, she was already showing up in my apartment. I started to think she was trying to get into me, to my mind, into my psyche. Again, my wife and I think that's their goal, to get into your mind and take over. I don't know what finally made me think to just guess a name, but maybe it was talking to friends or other folks who'd experienced this. Until then, I was worried that guessing the wrong name might have bad consequences. But one day, I was just too fed up, too tired, too freaked out, so when I saw her, I just said, Go away, Victoria! She turned and walked away, and I never saw her again. I've thought about it a lot since then. I don't know if I just guessed correctly or if any name will do. If they are entities looking for personification, maybe simply giving them any name fills that need. Still have no idea why that worked, to be honest, but I'm very glad it did. Such a scary experience, especially given how long it went on. Shortly after this, I moved back to the States and my wife and I were married. Shout out to her for hearing all about this and still marrying my haunted ass. So far, I've never seen the black-eyed girl again, and here's hoping that it stays that way. Alex, I am hoping for your sake too that it stays that way, because let me tell you, if I was in my house and I knew there was a ghost child, a black-eyed child, black-eyed kid, whatever you want to call it, just standing somewhere in my house, I would be burning this shit to the ground. There would be no way. Sit sit and play music in my room, wouldn't cut it, no way. And I mean, Berlin is a notoriously wild place, so it would not be unusual in the party scene in Berlin to see strange things in a park or 
people dressed in strange outfits or whatever it is. And I'm pretty sure that most people who experience the black eyed kids will immediately have the same thought of shit is this some sort of like child trafficking thing? Is this kid okay? Have they run away from home? Are they part of a cult? Like should I be helping them? And then you see their black eyes and you're like no I should be I should be trying to exercise you back down to hell. I feel like you handle this whole situation very, very bravely. Much more bravely than I would have, I think. And I wonder if this is kind of partly what Brian Bethel meant about naming them the Black Eyed Kids as kind of limited the exploration of them because people see them as their own entity. Maybe there's lots of ghost stories. Maybe there's ghost stories from dating back you know, all throughout history that are similar, that aren't being categorised as black-eyed kids because they're just seen as a modern phenomenon, a modern urban legend. But here's the thing. So Alex, I obviously believe your story. I'm sorry that you went through that. It sounds absolutely petrifying and I'm glad that things have settled down for you a little bit now. Do I necessarily believe this urban legend of the black-eyed kids coming knocking on people's doors, asking to be let in, etc, etc? I still am not convinced. I'm just not convinced that black eyed kids in that iteration of the story where they stop by your car or whatever it is. I'm not convinced that it's happening. And if it is happening, I'm not convinced that it isn't some sort of case of mistaken identity. Let me know what you think. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Thank you to Alex, obviously, for sending in your story. The book that I used for the research for today's episode is called Black Eyed Children by David Weatherly. You can get it on Amazon. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more information about Real Life Ghost Stories, you can go to the website reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com and if you are desperate for some extra content, you can sign up to Patreon. That is patreon.com forward slash Stories, where for $5 a month or $2 a month, you get access to heaps of extra content as well as every single main and mini episode completely ad-free. And on that note, I shall see you next time. 